John chapter 4. In John chapter 4. There was a small boy who was sent to bed by his father, and you may know the story. Five minutes later, he said, Dad, what? He says, I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a drink of water? No, you had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later, Dad, what? I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? I told you no, and if you ask again, I'll come in and spank you. Five minutes later, Dad, what? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me a drink of water? <laughs> Sometimes we can just get downright thirsty. <laughs> and no matter what, it's worth whatever sacrifices it is to get the water. We're looking at a story today, the woman at the well. Story about some water, people coming for water, people that are thirsty. We've looked at this story before. About six years ago, but we looked at it from a different perspective. We're going to look at it from uh, another perspective, more in line with where we're at right now in the Word, what we're studying. And at the end, we've got some uh, fun things to do along with it. So we will get there. But just to remind you, there are four areas to identify if you are a steady or if you are a stubborn person. Hopefully you have these down by now. First off, we used with uh, Pharaoh as our uh, poster boy for being stubborn. And so here was our one we looked to. And as we looked to his life, we saw that he had a problem with relationship to authority. He had a problem with generosity, with supply. He had a problem with focus during turmoil. And lastly, with motivation and boldness. We've looked at all four of these areas in depth. And you can get them over on the Internet for free. Just going up there, download them, podcast, whatever is the easiest way for you to get them. Or just sit there and listen to them. But we want you to be able to catch up on that. We also went over some of the things. Last couple of weeks, we were looking at the clash of the kingdoms. And boy, I tell you what, it's no more evident than it is today. The clash of the kingdom of Satan with the kingdom of God. But the kingdoms are extremely evident. It is easy to tell one kingdom from another. We gave you some of the characteristics of it. The kingdom of Satan, has the, it fears the truth. It distorts the truth. It threatens to keep people in fear of speaking it. It slanders those who will still speak it. It blames those in the truth for the problems of darkness and seeks to pull others into darkness with them. We looked at a number of stories where we saw these traits evident. And you can go back in the last couple of weeks and take a look at those. The kingdom of God, though, speaks the truth. It honors those who also speak the truth. It takes ownership of our own shortcomings. It helps those caught up in theirs privately at first and seeks to lead others into the light. The two kingdoms are remarkably different. It is not hard to tell which kingdom a person is of. All you have to do is take a look at some of these traits, and you can tell. People in the kingdom of Satan do not like the light. They don't like the truth. They're always trying to cover it up or to conceal something. But the people of the kingdom of God, they love the truth. They love when things come to light. Because I know that's always a good thing. And when they have partial truth, they like to get more truth. They never like to cover things up. We need to be in the truth. The examples we looked at were people who were both of the, of the world and in the church who were of the kingdom of Satan. Just because people are in church doesn't mean that they are of the kingdom of God. It's easy to tell. They had the same traits that the... Others do in the kingdom of Satan. But here we're going to come to this story. John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judah or Judea and departed into Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city in Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So leaving Judea, he had to go into the area of Galilee and passing through. And, of course, you had to pass through Samaria. But he came to a very historic, a place with some history. The Jewish people are always focused on the history of things. What happened here? What happened here? It's, it just seems that, you know, it's, that God is so much into what happened here. He's, he goes back into history. He goes back to who he blessed here. Who did this here? Who did that here? It seems that the kingdom of Satan is always trying to rewrite history. And to wipe out what has occurred with what really, with what they want to have occur. 
We've seen them do it with the history of America. We've seen them do it with other, other places as well. They try and rewrite history. But God likes history. He gives us this thing that this is a historical spot. This is a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, and thus and sat by the well, it was about the sixth hour, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus sat down for a while to go into the, the city, and here comes this woman. And she came by. It was about the sixth hour. Anybody know what time the sixth hour was? If you ever look this up, you'll see that there's, there's different things that they'll say, you know, the sixth hour was somewhere around noon. Some will say 11-ish. Some will say 1-ish, something like that. And then, you know, the ninth hour is around 3, but it might be a little bit before that. Might be. You ever wonder why there's so much different times about it? I came across something that came, that came to me kind of interesting, that what they do in this, and I'll try and read this to you an example, that they base their day on sunrise. So if the sun were to rise at 4.30 in the morning and set around 7.30 p.m., that would give you a total, total daylight of about 15 hours in the day. So if you take 15 hours... Or, or multiply that by the 60 minutes, you come up with about 900 minutes of daylight. Now you divide that by 12 for the 12 hours of the day and you come up with a 75-minute hour. <laughs> so the sixth hour, depending upon when sunlight could be, could be anywhere from 11.30 to 1. But one characteristic you do know about the time frame of 11.30 to 1 it's hot. Most people in the summertime, if you're going to cut your lawn, what time do you cut your lawn? Early in the morning or later in the evening. We don't generally try and cut our lawns at noon, do we? Because most people don't like it. Now, I've always, I have said something, I didn't even realize this until about a year or two ago. That I said this all the time, but I have always said, I don't know how long I've said it for, but I have always said, maybe you've heard me say it before, and it just dawned on me a, a while back, says, I've been saying that for a while. I have said, I've told people constantly, heat doesn't bother me. You ever heard me say that? Oh, yes. <laughs> he doesn't bother me. I have said that for so many years. I've said it when I was a kid. Heat doesn't bother me. And you know what? Heat doesn't bother me. No, it's not that I don't get hot. I get hot, but I refuse to let heat bother me. And when I was in college, when I was in high school, I uh, or ordered my day, so especially when I went out to Tulsa, out to Oklahoma, I ordered my day so that my run in the day would be about 12 to 1 o'clock. The hottest part of the day I wanted to be running. For one thing, there's no crowds. Another part was it was better training. If you train in the heat, you can race in the heat. So that's what I did. I went about that. But I had a purpose for it. This woman's purpose for coming at the hottest part of the day is because no one else would be there. So she has relationship problems. She has a problem, and you'll see this the rest of the story, she has a problem with the other women in the city. Probably because the other women also have a problem with her. <laughs> have you ever had some women that you gals, you know, you just, that you know, maybe over work, and everybody has a problem with this one woman? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, see, we, we guys can have a problem with certain guys. And you, you women may have a problem with certain women. And we may, you may say something to us guys. But really? What? Huh? <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. But you women can pick up on those things. And uh, we men can pick up some things about guys a little bit easier. But we have some reasons that maybe we don't like them. We don't like some of the things that they do, whatever it might be. But everybody had a problem with this one woman. So Jesus is there by the well, by himself. He's tired. Sends the disciples into town. And she comes over to the well expecting there to be no one. no one. And there's someone. And Jesus says, give me a drink. <laughs> give me a drink. Now she's not expecting that. Now notice this, that Jesus and his father... Father God always seemed to ask for things from people. Have you noticed that? They're always asking for something. When the rich man 
came to Jesus and said, what do I lack? What did Jesus say? Sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. (laughs) And you will have riches. But he had to first do something, right? What was it? He had to give something. He's always asking somebody to do something. The the man, he comes up to him, he's lame. What's he telling him to do? Get up. He doesn't say, he doesn't offer to help him up. He says, get up. God's always asking us to do something. It's not a whole lot, but it's always, he's always asking us to do something. You know what a lot of us like? We want to worship a God who serves us. Who just comes up and brings things to us. What do you need? Oh, here you are. I bring this right on over. Very seldom do people want to worship a God who first asks something of you. But what we find out is that when we ask, when God asks something of us and we give it, He multiplies it and gives it back. But it starts first off with us giving to Him. They always seem to ask for stuff. That gives them an opportunity, meaning God and Jesus, to be generous with their stuff. What's better, you to be generous with your stuff or God to be generous with His stuff? He's got more stuff. He's got better stuff. God's good stuff and better stuff. What's that commercial they have on the TV, the iced tea thing, the Snapple? Made with good stuff, now it's made with better stuff. He's got better stuff than we have. And he wants to be generous with it, but he's looking for something. He qualifies people. Are you willing to be generous with what you have? If you're not willing to be generous with what you have, I'm not going to be generous with what I have. I need an action from you that I can multiply on. Way back in the Old Testament, God said to Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son. Why? Because God said, if you're willing to do that, I can come back with my son. And my son will save the whole world. When God asks you to give something, when when He asks you to do something, when He asks you to obey and to step out in an area, just know, oh, this is, this is going to benefit me. God wants to be generous with His stuff. God wants to give you an opportunity to be generous with your stuff. So if you can be generous with your stuff, He can be generous with His stuff. Verse 9, Then the woman of Samaria said to Him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The world that we are in, and the world that Jesus was in, Expect similar people to group together. Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Samaritans. They would group together. And they would stay amongst their group simply because they're in the group. And we don't fellowship with those outside of the group. We have this group. And you know, we're real good about grouping things and, and pairing things off. We generally need a cause in order to bring us together. But we're so easy to, to focus into different groups. You know, we, uh, you all know I play hockey. Uh, of, used to be over at the YMCA over in Lansdale, but they closed the gym. And so we can't play at the gym anymore because the gym's gone. And they put us into the small gym, and the small gym did not work for hockey, so none of the guys liked it. So we went out, and we found an outside gym. And we got into this outdoor, not really an outdoor gym, but an outdoor court. We're playing outside now under the lights. And we play on this court, and it's actually in some ways better, in some ways different. But everybody's enjoying it more. And, and so we have a court, and we have a fence around it now to keep the ball in instead of walls. Sometimes it goes over the fence. And on next to us is another court. You know what's on the other court? Basketball players. They play on the lights on this side, and we play on the lights on this side. Our court is fenced in, theirs is not. And so we have one group over here, the basketball players, and then one group over here, the hockey players. And we don't really have too much reason to interact and to to do things, except once in a while, the hockey ball comes bouncing over into the basketball arena, and we ask if somebody can be kind enough to get it, throw it back on over. But we ran into a problem one night. The lights went out. There were no lights to play. So we showed up, actually, at the... At the time that we, we, we start playing, there's still some light. So we started playing and we played till, for about 45 minutes until we could not see the ball anymore. And guys were getting hit. I got hit twice. And um, 
other guys were getting hit as, as often. So we decided, you know what, we can't see the ball anymore, so we'll just kind of hold out and play, and not play, and see if the lights do happen to come on. It was almost 9 o'clock. And at 9 o'clock, the lights came on. Throughout this whole, whole time, there were no basketball players playing throughout the evening. They were all gone. So I called the township. We got things done. We got things moving around. And eventually, we got the um, uh, hold of some people, and we found out some things about the light, but the lights came on, so we were okay. We got the thing going. The next time we got together, I went over to the basketball players, and I said, can we work together on this, that if the lights go out again, that you all tell us that the lights went out? See, we need a common cause in order to get the basketball group of guys to work with the hockey group of guys. And if we get a common cause in there, a common reason to, to work together, then we can do some things. The woman here, we're Samaritans. We have one cause, you're Jews. There's no common cause. Now, Jesus right now is focusing around a common cause. We are thirsty. You are here at the well because you're thirsty. I also am thirsty. And I guess maybe he didn't have something he can go and pull the water out. So we've got two different groups and we've got a common cause. We've got a common cause. So he says, give me a drink. Always asking for something. So give them, gives her an opportunity to sow. Gives her an, an opportunity to do something. What's Elijah do when he comes up to the woman? woman? Give me something to eat. Why? Because after this, God's going to multiply that stuff and there's going to be enough for all of us for a long time. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Who dealt with who first? Jesus dealt with her first. See, when you get caught up in the kingdom of God, you're not caught up into this group mentality. It's not, well, we're of this group, we're of the rich group, we're of the poor group. We're of the hockey group, we're the basketball group, we're of this group, we're of that group. No, you don't get caught up in, the, in that sort of stuff. And that's why he can get outside that group, but he knows he's got to get her outside that group. So here's the, here's the cause. I'm thirsty. Give me a drink. The world expects similar people to group together, but God wants different people to join together. That's what God wants. He wants different people all to come together and to join together. Now, she says, Why do you ask of me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Understand this, she does not look down upon herself because she's a Samaritan, but she knows and expects or thinks that Jesus looks down on her because she's a Samaritan. There's a whole lot of times we enter into relationships with people and there's no evidence that they look down on us at all, but because we think they might, we put that into their into the equation. How are you dealing with me seeing as I'm a Samaritan? I'm someone that you despise. I'm someone that you look down upon. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God. You see, the world doesn't know what we have in the gift of God. It doesn't know what kind of gifts that God has given. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I was listening to the radio and they were advertising some show on TV that I've not seen, don't know about, didn't know about until the commercial came on. But it was some show and this guy came on and it was some famous actor. I, I kind of know his name. But he says, do you know who I am? Trying to intimidate and threaten the, uh, the other person. <laughs> A lot of times people think that because of who I am, that should intimidate, that should threaten you because of who I am. What Jesus says here, if you knew who it was who said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So why doesn't she ask for living water? Because she doesn't know. The world that we are in does not know the gift of God. It doesn't know who Jesus is or that he has living water to give and get this one and gives it to those who ask. He says to this woman from Samaria, 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 you would have asked me and I would have given it to you. He would have, I would have given you living water. Why? What's, she, what's her qualifications? She's a Samaritan. She's in the group that we don't like. We despise. We have no dealings with. They worship God wrong. If you would have, if you would have known the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, 
you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Folks, there's a whole lot of folks, a whole lot of people out there that are in the world that we have put into a group of thugs. We have put into a group of druggies. We have put into a group of unwanteds. We have put into groups of divorced or, or dejected or whatever it might be. And we don't take the gospel to them because they're in the wrong group. Jesus doesn't care about what group she's in. He says, if you would have asked, if you would have known who it was, you would have asked and I would have given you living water. This next verse tells us a whole lot about how it is we talk to the world. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this li- that living water? Many of us would have thrown up our arms and said, oh, you're just too stupid to get it. I'm just going to go away to somebody else. Most people in the world hear spiritual principles naturally. Most people in the world hear spiritual principles naturally. They don't perceive it in their spirit. They're trying to understand the things of God with their minds, which you can't do. So we've got to understand that when we try and give them the things of God, they're trying to understand it with their mind. They don't have a reborn, recreated spirit yet. You've got to be patient with them. You've got to understand they're going to hear some things wrongly. And they're going to take some wrong meetings out of it and don't get frustrated. How are you going to get water? You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Well, he's not talking about that water. He's talking about living water that if you drink from it, you never thirst again. Well, she didn't know this. So she goes on. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock. Understand this, the folks in Samaria, they understand history too. They understand who their father was. They understand that the folks in Samaria, folks, have some Jewish origins. They are a mixture of Jewish and a bunch of other folks, but they did not keep their Jewish lines pure, which is why the people of Judea and Galilee didn't like them. They mixed things. It was because of the Assyrian settlements that had gone on when Assyria came and conquered the northern tribes. But they still wanted to worship God. But apparently they worshiped him wrong. And Jesus does not acknowledge that well, you can just worship him any way you want to. You can get there. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. So therefore to go down there and dip in, it's not going to help us out. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Now, if you're a person in the world, Maybe she's thinking this. I don't know. She doesn't ask the question. How many of you might be thinking this? If you're never going to thirst, why do you need me to give you a drink? (laughs) But notice this. Jesus never said he was thirsty. He just said, give me a drink. He may have been thirsty, but he just said, give me a drink. He's looking for a way to start up a conversation. Sometimes, folks, it just takes us a way to start up a conversation. Maybe that is just you reaching over to somebody in a different group beside yours and asking them for something. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Can be that way. There's a whole lot of Christian folks who have received that water and never let it become a fountain. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. What's she doing? She's hearing spiritual things naturally, which is what the world will do. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. What is it that would have made the man that she's with her husband? Now look at the things that are involved in there. Number one, is she living with him? According to Jesus, that didn't make her her husband. Are the two having relationships? Physical relationships? (laughs) More than likely... Does that make the man her husband? No. No. What makes the man her husband? What made the other five her husband? They got married. Marriage is an institution that was brought on by God, given to Adam and Eve and passed on. And it is man that tries to corrupt it. 
I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. I'll tell you what, though. He doesn't condemn anybody. He may point out a sin, but he doesn't sit there and say, now don't, don't ever mess with me again because you don't have a husband. You're living with somebody. He doesn't do that. God, I'll put this in your outline because I want to make sure you got this. God will give natural insights into the lives of others for the purpose of them coming to the light, not to condemn. Too often Christians have gotten things supernaturally about other people and have used it in a way to condemn others, to make them feel poorly, to make them feel bad about their situation. And that is not why God gives it. He gives it for the purpose of bringing them to the light, not to condemn. When Jesus had the woman who was caught in adultery brought to his feet, and when he writes in the sand and the people leave, and he says to the woman when there's just the two of them, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what the, that's what the light is about. The light is about bringing people out of bondage, not putting them in it. If you will learn more about how God will give you insights into the lives of other people and use it for the purpose of bringing them to the light and not condemning them, God can trust you with more. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Now, whenever you get personal with people in the world and you start to hit home, what they will generally do is throw out a doctrinal question. Something about the end times, something about style of worship, something about place of worship, something about beliefs from the different churches, whatever it might be. Have you ever been in that situation? And people begin to throw out stuff, you know, all right, well, if you want me to come into the church, what is this stuff about the tribulation? What is this stuff about the millennial reign? What is this stuff here about, uh, you know, some people worship with guitars and drums and, and they go on all these different things and it's not going to matter to them. Sometimes, I know you probably have felt this, I have felt this, you want to just slap them in the face and say, does it matter? <laughs> you are on your way to hell. Does it really matter if God is coming for the church before or after the tribulation? Because either way right now you're going to die. Does it matter? Does it really matter if one church uses a guitar and another one uses an organ? You are on your way to hell. <laughs> you know, it's like you being on a car and the sign says bridge out and you're wondering, is the car red or is the car blue? <laughs> do we have Michelin tires or do we have Goodyear tires? Are there seat belts? How about some airbags? Does it matter? <laughs> you're on a bridge. The bridge is out. You're going forward. You're going to die. Who cares about the airbags? But this is what they do. They'll ask you questions like this. And you've got to be careful because a lot of times we want to answer them. Again, natural people hear spiritual things how? Naturally. So you can give them the best answer in the world and guess how they're going to hear it? Naturally. <laughs> Not going to hear it, right? He could give her a phenomenal answer on this thing and she's going to hear it naturally. Yeah. You could get in there and start the whole doctrinal discourse on why the tribulation is before or after this event or whatever it might be and you might be completely right. And you know what? They won't get it. Wasted your time. The world will ask questions whose answers give no light when they become uncomfortable. It is constantly that way. They will ask these questions and there's no light for it. There's no light for it in their life. It's not going to help them in what they're doing. Where should we worship? This mountain or that one over there? So Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. He's not saying that she's on the path of, uh, of right worship. 
We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. That's a hard thing for some Christians to say anymore. But salvation is of Jesus. There's no other way. It's of Jesus. Whatever people ask you, you got to bring them back to that thing. Salvation is of Jesus. That's it. It's simple. Except Jesus. He was a sacrifice for your sin. Let him be the sacrifice for your sin. And you're out of the path of hell. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Let me ask you this question. Who in Jerusalem did He ever say that to? Who in Galilee did He ever say that to? So why does he say it to her? He does. He says it now. She still has to believe it. She doesn't have nearly what the rest of the people in Jerusalem and Galilee have to base this on. All that, he, all that she has is that he knows that I have five husbands and the person I'm living with now is not my husband. And from that, all this spawned. In the end here, what opened the door for this woman is what Jesus knew supernaturally about her. Most people don't care what you know about the Word of God. It's not going to minister a whole lot to them. What they do want to know is, how does it help me? If you can take the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and have it help them, oh, that'd be good. Oh, what a, what a good thing that is. There was a brother who was out there at the conference we were at, and he had this shirt on. I asked him afterwards, I said, can we get some of those shirts? And he says, yeah, we're going to make them available. And so we're going to get some and we're going to bring them on out here. But what the shirt is, it's just, uh, uh, it, was, it had a little bit more on it than this. But basically what the shirt says was taking prayer requests. <laughs> is that cool? Yeah. Taking prayer requests. So that, you know, invite people to come on up. Can you pray for me? There you go. Now you can let the Word of God work in you. Help them out. So we're going to get some. We're going to have them available for you. And you can put them on and go out there and take some prayer requests. Let God change some lives. Verse 27. At this point, His disciples came and they marveled that He talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? See, they saw she's a Samaritan woman. This is Jesus. Why is he... Why is he associating with this? This is a group over here that we don't, we don't deal with those groups. Why are we over here? Why are we doing this? But you're not going to confront Jesus about it because he's Jesus. But they're going to think it. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, that's kind of silly to leave the water pot. That's what you came for. I mean, why not at least carry the water back? I guess because you can make better time without the water pot. I'm sure I could. <laughs> Carrying a water pot has got to be a whole lot harder getting back to the city. So she went back a little bit further and said to the men of the city, didn't say to the woman, said to the men, she had a better relationship with the men. Come see a man. Well, she'd been married to five of them, at least. We know that. <laughs> so five of them are exes. <laughs> of course, all those exes had a bunch of buddies. You know, so she probably knew all their buddies. And uh, just, she knew more men, had a better relationship with them. Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. My first thought is, they could probably tell her the same thing. Wait, that's no big deal. I can tell you what the stuff you did. We all know what the stuff you did. It's <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> I think some of it was in the paper this morning. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Now, what's that sound like? Doesn't that sound like somebody saying something spiritual and the people hearing it naturally? And these are the disciples and they didn't do any better than the woman from Samaria. <laughs> Jesus is giving them spiritual truth and they say, somebody go to McDonald's and get them something. <laughs> what they do? Chick-fil-A, I guess that's where they would have gone to. Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Well, why are they asking each other? They were all together. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. 
So they're all sitting around there trying to figure out, did, did you bring them something? Did you, did you see anybody? We're all together. They're all together, all out there in the city, and they all come on back, and they expect that someone here is going to know something about what happened. I don't know what they're thinking. But he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Too much in the Christian circles, we are spending time eating natural food and trying to develop spiritually. The day needs to be where we stop doing just the natural things. We get into the spiritual things and we start eating spiritual food so we can develop ourselves spiritually. And if you're going to develop yourself spiritually and eat spiritual food, guess what you got to do? My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. Every time I do the will of God, I am feeding myself on spiritual food. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. He goes on. Do you not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest? How many of you know you plant and after a certain while, the plants develop, plants grow, and you take the harvest? You plant tomatoes in what, May? And we're already getting some. Way too many. <laughs> getting lots. Those, those plants back there are huge. Children have been lost. They're just big old plants out there and just keep producing all sorts of stuff. They got so heavy that we put the cages on them and the cages couldn't keep them up. So we had to get stakes to stake up the cage so that the cage would hold the plants up. And one stake wasn't good enough. We had to get two stakes in each cage to hold up the plants to keep them from falling on the ground because they're just too, too many tomatoes. But, you know, there's a certain amount of time. And he says, you all know it takes, you know, you plant the wheat and after four months or so... That's when the harvest is going to come. Look at what he says. There are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. What Jesus is saying here is not that there is such a, a, a period of time from the time that you sow until the time that you harvest. What he is saying is, I just sowed. Now look, the harvest is here. And when they looked up, they saw the men coming from the city. I saw a note on this. One historian says that when they were working in the places they worked, they worked, they worked in white linen garments. And so when they all, they all left work because what hour is it? Around noon. These guys are at work. And so when she went to them, they all in the urgency came on out while they were at work. They still had their work clothes on. They would have all had the white linen garments on. And Jesus said, well, lift up your eyes. Look, the fields are white and the harvest. They saw a whole group of people coming out with these white linen garments on. I have to wait to get to heaven to find out if that's actually what happened. But that sounded like it was a pretty neat aspect of the story to me. He said, look up. We just sowed. I just talked to this woman. She went in and look, here comes the harvest. It's all coming on out here. Sometimes we have taken this idea that when I, when I begin to sow for the harvest, it's going to be months. It's going to be years. I'm going to have to keep sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing. And eventually I'll get something. That's, he's, he's saying this. You already know it takes four months to harvest. Now look, look, here comes the harvest. We just got here. Here comes the harvest. That's pretty quick harvest, isn't it? I sowed at noon. I reap at one. That's pretty good. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this they, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent, to you, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Now, notice this. He sent his disciples into the city. His disciples came out with food. He sent the woman, who was a heathen, into the city. And what she came out with? Souls. <laughs> now, how qualified was that woman? How qualified was she? Had she studied the Word for years? Had she been in a number of church services? No church service, had to study the Word, even had a messed up idea about where the worship, what worship was about. And Jesus arms her with very little, and she goes in, and she comes out with a harvest. Yeah. 
How much better equipped are you than she? Why do you keep disqualifying yourself from being able to harvest? This woman just heard. And in one hour, she brings out a harvest. Or whatever amount of time it was to get there and get back. For this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. One sows and another reaps. You may reap something you didn't sow. That's all right. Just get the harvest. You may sow something and not reap anything. That's all right. Go out and get another one. But keep sowing. Keep going out there. People keep hearing spiritual principles and hearing natural stuff. That's all right. Keep going out there. Give them what God says to give them. Listen to Him. Harvest does not always take a long time. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified. Again, how qualified was she? She's not very qualified. People will believe in the word of the gospel because of your testimony. Get out there and give it. You're more qualified than she is. You should be able to do better. Stop disqualifying you. Guess who's disqualifying you? The enemy wants to come in and tell you you're no good. Can't do it. They believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. That's all she said. (laughs) There's no deep biblical truth. There's no insight. It's just he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have believed, have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Can you imagine this? He is in Jerusalem. He is in Capernaum. He is doing miracles. He's casting out demons. Dead people are raised. The word is taught. And they resist the gospel. He comes into Samaria. Samaria, a place despised by the Jews. And he preaches for two days and they say, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. That heathens could recognize the Messiah before the Jewish people did. So here's a question. Harvests are ready. Are we ready to labor? The harvest folks are ready. But are we ready to go out there and be laborers? If we are going to be steady for the things of God, we have got to feed on spiritual food. Spiritual food is not just tapes, CDs, and MP3s. It's not just reading the Bible in the morning. It's not just praying at night time. It is to do the will of the Father. If you want to grow spiritually, do the will of the Father. Share the gospel with those around you. Look for opportunities. When people come knocking at your door, be asking God, what can I say? How can I share? Be always looking for opportunities. Jesus took an opportunity for a woman who was afraid to come at the normal time to come to the well to get water. How normal is that? And he found a way to talk to her about the gospel and in a, in a time frame of about an hour had the men from the city listening to the word of God. What can you do with your situation? What can you do with the places where you are at? Before we go on, we have a special video presentation for you. We have it ready? Go ahead and cue that up. I thought that was pretty creative. Very well done. All kinds of different churches we have. But what we want to do is invite the people that were around back to church. September 16th has been set up as a national back to church day. So our job is to go out there and invite them. As Brother Jolly was saying, just go out there and say, Pastor, my pastor said I have to show up with somebody. Blame it on me. Blame it on somebody. Blame it on Jolly if you want to. Jolly said I'd come and show up. But it's back to church Sunday. That's what we're gearing up for.
I want you to find somebody and bring them with you. Don't come to church alone on September the 16th. Now, that doesn't mean don't come to church. <laughs> That's no good. <laughs> but just don't come to church alone. Go out there and bring somebody. Bring them on out with you. Don't assume that because they're in a different group than you are, that they aren't ready for the gospel. They can't be changed. Oh, I'll tell you what. You know what? There's people all over. They want the gospel. They want the love that comes. Many different reasons that people come to church. Some people go to church because of worship. Some people go to church because they, they like the connections they have with people. Some people go to church because they like to learn about the Word of God. Some people go to church because they have needs and they like to be prayed for. There's all kinds of reasons that people go to church. And I'll bet in here, each of us have different reasons for our number one reasons why we're in church. But there's people that are not going to church. I don't know what our, our stats are around here, but we were out there at the uh, conference. One pastor got up and he said, there are 500, there are a half million people in our area. And 350,000 of them don't go to church. And they live in an Amish area. 350,000 out of 500. That's a lot of unchurched people in a place that is considered to be a pretty churched area. I bet you that most of our neighbors, when we left this morning, their cars were in their parking lot, in their driveway. When we get back today, their cars will still be in their driving. Means, guess what? They didn't go anywhere. Invite them to church. Bring them out to church with you. This is part of making you steady for the things of God. If the devil can get you from stop to stop you from doing the work of God, he can get you to stop doing the things that you can hear from God. There are three groups of people we saw in the story. Number one was Jesus. Number two were the disciples. And number three was the woman from Samaria. Out of those three, only one of them was doing the work of God. At the time that the woman was here in the story, she was not doing the work of God. And she heard everything spiritual naturally the disciples were not doing the work of god they went into the city that was ripe for harvest and came out with food nobody followed them and when jesus taught them something spiritual they heard natural but jesus heard supernatural principles about a woman that god saw as a daughter he wanted to come back into the family and jesus heard supernatural things and spoke them you want to hear supernatural stuff? You want to understand supernatural principles? Do the work of God. He says, I have food that you do not know of. We need a taste of that food. Get out there and do the work of the ministry. Invite people to church. Invite people to, that you can pray for them. Is there a need that I can pray for? for you? As you do that, people will begin to open up about some problems that they have. You can bring the word of God in and help them out. Understand they're, they're going to understand most things naturally. You've got to struggle with that and work with that, but you can help them. You can help them. But you've got the light. You've got the light on the inside of you. If we really want to become steady for the things of God, we need to do the work of God. We need to labor on His behalf. Time is coming close. God is coming soon. For some of us, it can't be soon enough. <laughs> but what God says is, I want more to come into the family of God. We need to be the ones that help out with that. September the 16th. Let's write it down. Let's make this our target day. Find some people that you can invite out to church and bring them along with you. Say after church, we'll take you out to get something to eat. Have you eat something with us. And invite, invite and offer them. I'll, I'll take you on out. I'll take you out. You know, just take them over to McDonald's. Take them over to Sal's. Maybe next door. Take them wherever it is that, that works out. But compel them. The Word of God talks about us compelling them to come in. And we need to, to do some compelling. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We are not just here to do the work of the ministry on our own. We are here to do it with you. You give us the help. But as long as we refrain from doing the work that God has for us to do, we don't eat of the food that we need to eat of to grow to develop, to become truly steady. For if we're going to become steady for the things of God, we need to continue to eat the things that help us. Food that we know not of. Some of us know of it. 
Others, not so much. But oh, once we get a taste of doing the will of the Father, doing the work that He's put us here to do, nothing else satisfies. Thank you for the help that you give us. We are your workmen, workwomen. We are the people here to do your the things you've called us to. We are your hands. We thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go, we have a couple of things to finish up with. Uh, I know Jeremy is heading off to the hill, so if uh, he's next door, if you want to bring him on over. But Peter, is uh, he headed off to Penn State real quick, so we didn't get to give him his Bible for graduating from high school. So we have his Bible here for him, for him now. So Pete, come on up. We want to pray over Pete as he is getting ready to uh, head back now to Penn State and continue the work that, that God is doing up there with, with him and his life and the development that he's, he's going, be in prayer for him and the others that we have that are in the different places. I don't think anybody, any two people are in the same spot. They're all over the place. Uh, Peter's equipped. He's ready. He's filled with the Word of God. And no matter what it is that the world throws at him up there, the Word of God will be the answer for him. So let's, uh, let's pray. Come on over here. Stay right here. Let's uh, pray with him. Father God, we just thank you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Your word fills up Peter. That your wisdom is in his mind, in his heart. That he sees in front of him the things of the word. And when things from the wrong kingdom come in his way, he'll recognize them. And he'll stay with the things of the kingdom of God. He'll recognize the wisdom of the world and cling to the wisdom of God. Rejecting those things that the world calls as wise to hang on to those things that our God calls wise. I thank you, Father, that as you continue to educate him and to train him in all the things that you have ahead for him, to let him know more of his calling, more of the purpose that you have for his life, that every day he'll learn more about that. Every day he'll learn more about you you are preparing him and you're getting him ready i thank you for the people that will come along his path that will help him that will encourage him that will strengthen him and father i thank you for the help that you give him to recognize those who would pretend to be the same but all along mean harm i thank you father that every trap that is set by the enemy will be exposed as Jesus said, there are 12 hours in the day. We walk in the daylight. We walk when there is light out to expose the snares, the traps that the enemy puts around. The world is in darkness. We are not. Thank you, Father, that light is all around him. We give you the praise and the honor for it. Glory to God. 